A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, I once again want to welcome you to the show. I think we have uh, a fascinating guest, and I think his message is one that more of us probably need to hear than we're willing to admit. That is, if if you are wondering, is it possible to live in a world that's filled with chaos and to be at peace and have a sense of purpose? You're going to really like what my guest has to say. I would like to introduce you to uh, Nick Nicholas. Uh, Nick is uh, is Nick. Is it safe to call you? You are a coach, but you are a person who has undergone uh, a very transformative experience that changed your life forever. And it sounds like you are using that experience to to help others make necessary transformations in their life. Is that safe to say? That would be safe to say. Yes. Let's uh, let's first of all fill in some of your background. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I understand you're a retired U.S. Army first sergeant, businessman, author, consultant. You're a professional speaker. But walk us back and take us through your journey that has brought to you to the point where you're living. Uh, sounds like a, like a very purposeful and mission oriented type of life. I think I have lost Nick's audio here for the moment i'm back i don't know what happened there we go i can hear you now um fill in fill in some of the gaps tell us about who you are and why you do what you do okay well first of all let me just uh uh, i i went through a lot of this in the book that i wrote reclaiming my life my journey back to god and basically i was raised in a christian home right from wrong you did good you got good you did bad you got bad and then three tragic events happened over a period of about nine years, and I went rogue. And over a period of the next 28 years, I allowed fear to completely control my life. And it was affecting me in so many different ways, in, in negative ways that I wasn't, my, my career was doing okay, but it wasn't doing as well as it could. And then I reached a point where I just said, you know, I cannot continue to live like this because I was having regular panic attacks. And so what I did at that point, I was uh, assigned to um, Lowell, Massachusetts. I was uh, commanding the second largest army recruiting station in the United States. And I was on my way to work one morning and I just, I hit the end. Uh, I, I didn't want to go on. All I, if I'd have had a weapon that day, you and I wouldn't have this conversation right now. And as a result of that, I wound up uh, working with a, uh, a counselor from the 10 Special Forces Group, because I had a bit of a forces background in early in my Army career. As a result of that, I started my step back, and I started to learn many, many things. After a year with that gentleman, I started, I, I thought I could learn more. And so I started spending time, I found myself a very good Christian psychologist, and I worked with him for a number of years to learn more about why my fear was controlling me. And the things that he taught me, I understood pretty well. Uh, But then in December of 2015, I had a near-death experience. I walked into the light. And after that, my entire life changed. Everything that I had learned up to that point 
<clears throat> took on a much deeper understanding. And that's what I'm sharing with people today. Now, I, I suppose it's probably pretty common, Nick, that people um, want to know details about uh, your near-death experience. And and I'm no different. I mean, I, I've been fascinated by this subject ever since I was probably 15 years old. But um, talk to us about what to, what did you experience at that, at that moment where it, where it appeared your life was over. Um, I, I'm just curious what to... What happened to you? How would you describe it? Okay. Well, <clears throat> I was sitting at my computer. I'd gotten back from a business meeting on a Saturday, and I'm sitting at my computer. I was working on a project. All of a sudden, everything started going dark. I was standing in a tunnel, and at the end of the tunnel was this beautiful, bright light. And I just walked directly into it. And what I have to say is that once I walked into that light, the the peace the calm and the love was totally overwhelming. I, I don't know that there are words to describe it. I've talked to other folks that have been through this and they feel kind of the same way. You really can't describe it other than to say that you will never feel more at peace and more comfortable with everything around you than at that point. And so what happened was that uh, all of a sudden it was over and I'm back at my computer and everything's working. Well, I later found out uh, that what I had was a lethal VTEC and that I was actually 12 seconds away from death at that point. And it was, uh, the beauty of it is that calm, that peace and that sense of love never left me after I came back from the light. But what it did, I had already learned over the years how to manage fear. But all of a sudden, as a result of that near-death experience and seeing the light. Three or four days later, I woke up one morning and I said, oh my goodness, I think I understand something I didn't understand before. Light is energy. Light is energy. And I said to myself, is it possible that God is a superior positive energy force of love? And if so, then that love lives within me through the emotion of love. And all of a sudden, that just made pure sense to me. And from that, then I began to understand other things, more about how to manage fear, more about how to feel uh, like there's opportunity and to prevent ourselves from feeling hopeless. You know, I'm just, I sit back and I kind of marvel at... Uh... Some of the commonalities that your experience has with with other people who have recorded near death experiences, and it seems like one of the the most common things that they say is the fear vanished. Whether that was fear of death or whether it was fear of not succeeding or fear of not being all I should be or whatever. Um, in fact, a lot of them have said, and, and I'd love for you to comment on this, that at that moment where they experienced that that absolute peace. That's the first time in their life that they really realized how much insecurity and fear they'd been carrying around with them in the first place. It's like it's like uh, water to a fish. We get so used to it, we don't even realize that it's there. D does that jive with your experience? Oh, absolutely. Here's what I came to understand, Brian. When we were born, <clears throat> we were born with a degree of spiritual energy, both negative and positive energy. My son's a nuclear engineer. And I forgot all the physics I had in high school and college as easy, as quick as I could because it wasn't my forte. But he helped me understand. Uh, but the the 
spiritual energy is different than the energy we learn in our physics classes. It, it can neither be created nor destroyed, but it can change forms. And the only two forms are positive and negative because it's always kinetic. It's always operational. It's always working, either the fear or the love. One or the other is always working. So what happened when I, and, and note, by the way, the, the two poles shift back and forth. If you wake up in the morning, 50% positive, 50% negative, and events start happening, if, if you're, uh, you know, you get down to breakfast and everything is going great, then that 50-50 is probably going to become 60 or 65 positive, 35% negative. However, then you're going to run into something at work and all of a sudden it shifts. Every time you have a thought, that energy shifts back and forth. Now, here's the interesting part to answer your question. When I walked into that light, the percentage of the positive spiritual energy became overwhelming overwhelming the fear was completely pushed off into the side it was that we never lose it because it cannot be destroyed however it was completely overcome but here's what i had learned over the years and why i think that's so important there's two things that are critical i'll go one and then then i'll come back and do the other first of all we have to understand fears and emotion but we don't know how to handle emotions we've never been taught so i'm going to give you a definition of fear that you can actually use to help you manage it. Fear is nothing but a question. Am I going to be okay? Can I handle this? And that's what we ask ourselves every single time. Here's the answer. We normally say no because we don't know what the future holds. But the truth is that we were born with the skill, the knowledge, the ability, and the strength to be able to handle anything that comes our way in life. If you doubt that, look back over your life. You've had a lot of things happen and you've handled every one of them. They may not have come out the way you wanted it, but you handled it. You survived it. You're still here. Once we can internalize that from the brain down, then we have learned, taken the first major step in learning to manage fear. That is one of the most productive and and clarifying descriptions or definitions of fear that I've ever heard in my life. Um, Nick, hold that thought. We've got to take a very quick break. My guest is Nick Nicholas. By the way, there is a link to his website, nickcoaches.com. You can find that on uh, my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. I'll have it posted on social media when we put this up for podcast as well. Nick Nicholas is my guest. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about living at peace in a world filled with chaos. What's that you say? Is 2020 filled with chaos? Well, I think you can see why this message matters. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, I want to welcome you back to the show. My guest is Nick Nicholas. You can check out his website, nickcoaches.com. Because of his near-death experience, Nick learned a few things, and we're talking about some of the things that he learned, and, and Nick, um, let's let's delve again into, into fear. This is something everybody deals with, and then I'd love to segue into how we can live at peace in a world that, that appears to be filled with chaos. This year, perhaps more so than other years in recent memory. Uh, what would you want us to know, first of all, about the fear that everybody deals with? Okay, I think it's important that we understand what causes fear. 
we have to understand that our number one instinct is survival. We will do anything to survive. Now, normally we think about that in terms of life or death. We have to understand that we have a survival instinct in every area of our life, relationships, our profession, our finances, all of that. So anytime, here's the thing that happens. Anytime there is a threat, either real or perceived, to any one of our areas of survival, our automatic reaction is fear. It's just automatic. That can be good. It's going to keep me from doing something really stupid. I'm not going to dive off a 10-foot board onto the street. I'm not going to do that. I'm afraid to. So that's good. But the problem is that what happens is we experience the fear, but we hold on to it. We hold on to it. We don't... uh, we, we haven't learned how to manage it. So as a result, what happens is the fear continues to control us. For example, if you got stuck in an elevator and they got you out, you come back again, you got to make a choice. Am I going to get on the elevator? Or am I going to take the stairs? If you decide that you're going to take the stairs from then on, you're being controlled by your fear because the odds of being stuck in an elevator again are very, very minimal. So what we, we have to understand, fear comes in different levels, all the way from minor concern to what I call stage five panic. And here's what it is. When we perceive a threat, we immediately check our internal security. How confident am I? For example, you as a radio host, you're very good at what you do. You're very confident in what you do. If somebody makes an offhanded comment, yeah, okay, fine. That's your opinion. doesn't bother me because I feel good about what I do. On the other hand, If it was something that you didn't have a high level of confidence in, your fear level is going to jump to a higher level. Very true. So where does the internal security come from? It comes from belief in the fact that everything is going to be okay. And here's there's only three things we can have faith in that will give us internal security and confidence. Faith in ourselves, faith in those close to us, and faith in God or however you see your higher power. Now, faith in self, that's great, except when we don't have a lot of confidence in what we're doing. Faith in those around us is, but I'm talking about those people in our close circle we truly trust. Uh, 99% of the time, they're probably going to be right there for us, but they might not always. The third, of course, is our faith in in God. A lot of people tell me, well, Nick, you know, uh, I'm not sure about that because I pray for something I need and I don't always get it. Well, here's what we need to understand. We pray for what we want. God gives us what we need. The problem is we don't see that because fear blinds us, confuses us, and paralyzes us. So here's what I'm going to say to you. There's two things to do. Number one, change your thought process from negative to positive. Because if you're having a negative thought, you're coming from a fear base. Positive thought from the the love base. So therefore, change how you think. And secondly, realize it makes no difference what happens. You're going to be okay. You'll handle it. It You may not like it. It may not feel good or whatever, but you're going to be okay. I'm now I'm trying to apply that to to 2020 and all of the stuff that has come at us this year. And and uh, it's been a, it's been a busy year. I don't think I'm the only one who feels that way. I, I, I think a lot of people are, are, are right there on that edge of we don't know what's going to happen. We see some bad things happening. We're not sure how to deal with all of it. Um, help us out here, Nick, and, and tell us what what can we do 
to to keep from allowing that fear to dictate either how we respond or or how we choose to live our lives. For instance, you know, um, do I want to go there? The the masks. Some people see those as a symbol of ah, you've given into fear. Other people see that as a symbol of this is what I do, so I don't have to live with the fear that I might inadvertently either make mm-hmm. someone sick or become sick myself. Is there a happy medium? Is there common ground where people can meet and be responsible without appearing to give in to fear? Absolutely. First of all, we have to understand there's things we control and things we don't. What's going on out there right now, we have no control over. But yet we spend a lot of our energy, negative energy, worrying about that and let it bringing us to a high level of fear. So, Remember, those folks are going to do what they're going to do. We can't do anything about that. Peace is not external. Peace is internal. It's how we respond. It's how we see life for us as an individual. Okay? Now, uh, when it comes down to the – I'm going to use myself as an example. I mean, I'm experiencing the same thing you guys are. I had one of my clients say, well, Nick, my gosh, must be great to never feel fear. I said, I suppose it would be, but I still feel fear. I've just been fortunate enough to learn how to manage it so it doesn't control me. So uh, the first thing I do is I say, all right, is this something that I have control over? And if not, I'm not going to waste my energy on it because I'm going to look internal and I'm going to ask myself, can I handle this? Yes, I can, because I've got the skill, knowledge, ability, and strength. I know it's going to be okay. I will come out of it on the other side just fine. And when it comes to things like the mask and so forth, I think what we have to look at is, and it kind of goes back to the right and wrong thing and how we see, and here's what I've said to people about this virus all along. The virus is serious. I think we have to be very serious about it because it can be a very bad thing. However, I think we have to be prudent. We cannot allow the fear of the virus to control our life. Now, if, wearing, if, if, in my opinion, I feel that wearing the mask is a prudent thing to do, then I will do it. Uh, if I don't feel it is, I will not put it on. But now I go to a store like a Walmart or someplace, and they've got a sign in the window says, you may not enter without a mask. So now I have to make a decision. Do I control that? No, I don't. Okay. But do I want to go in there and buy my, my things I need? Yeah, I do. So does that mean then for me, it would be prudent to go ahead and do that to make my life happy? Sure. So I put the mask on, I'll go in, buy my stuff, come out and take it off and never give it a second thought. Because you see, that's what I mean by you controlling your life rather than allowing the external to control your life. Now, if you put that mask on because you're scared to death that you might get sick, now you're allowing fear to control your life. You're not making a decision. Fear has made a decision for you. Okay, that that makes sense. Now I want to, we've got about a minute here before before we're up against the clock again and have to go to break, but um Nick, let's talk about your website. I want to invite people to check it out for themselves. Um where can they find it and what will they expect to find when they go to your website? Okay, well as you said, the website is nickcoaches.com and I've got uh blogs out there. I'm doing blogs with my son. Uh, and the reason being because he came back from Iraq with PTSD and through my coaching and working with things we've talked about today, he no longer has it. 
So he and I blog do blogs together or do uh, podcasts together. I have several blogs out there, and there will be more to come. I'm working on more blogs. We're working on more podcasts. Uh, a little bit about my history, a little bit about my background uh, is also on on the site, and it's being expanded. Uh, we're putting on a page for veterans only, and we're putting on a page for women because women are experiencing this different than men are. And therefore, it's important that that be addressed. And so they'll find that on my website. All right. Nick Nicholas, I appreciate you taking time to share your message with me and with my listeners. And God bless you. Keep up the good work. I hope maybe we have a chance to talk again soon. I would love to. God bless you. Have a beautiful day and a wonderful Memorial Day or Labor Day weekend. I will. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Lines are open, 801-331-8113. Want to mention that our program is brought to you in part today by the... uh, The Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. I appreciate John Staples, uh, number one, for for being my friend for these many years. He really is a great guy, but I also appreciate the the work ethic that John brings to everything that he does. And I've seen him in a number of different business settings. Um, Right now, he and his wife, Heather, are the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. But he does such a phenomenal job for his clients. You don't have to be me. I mean, it helps, but you don't have to be me in order to get fantastic service, whether it's a refinance for your existing home mortgage, or maybe you are one of the lucky people who has fled one of the uh, more socialist, uh, you know, redoubts out there throughout the, the country, and you've decided to come someplace that has a little more freedom. If that's the case, just keep in mind, Patriot Mortgage is active in 23 different states, and John and his wife, Heather, can help you, and they would be happy to help you. If you want to contact them, here's what you do. Go to Staples mortgage.com staplesmortgage.com it's that simple be sure to tell them hey i'm checking you guys out because brian said good things about you and i mean it i'm not just i'm not just singing their praises to hear my own voice they really do a fantastic job and i know they will do right by you staplesmortgage.com all right let's jump on the telephone and see what's on your mind on this friday hi welcome to the show so brian it's interesting you just said that you know i was just signing some papers on buying a house and uh you know it was in a different state and um <clears throat> there happened to be a clause about how i couldn't hold the uh realtors you know liable for sexual assault in the area of the ha- place i was going to buy the house i was wondering if staples mortgage has any um clauses in their contracts that these people fleeing the liberal cities have to vote in a different manner. Now, wait a minute. Let, let me understand here, Rob. Are you moving? No. Okay. No, I'm not moving. You're not. You're not it's fleeing. Possible. What my friend Ralph uh, Delu, Delu, what uh, Ralph Delugas calls the Great Sanhedrin Valley. <laughs> no, no. Okay. You know, I, I think you, you, you were talking a little bit about um, the. Uh, how did we get through this 2020, you know, and 
I think I think from the best way to be is just be yourself. Like pre-COVID nineteen, do what you normally did before that, and act the way you did, and push it on people. I think that's the only way we're going to get you know succeed with this. I mean, we're in the battle right now. I mean, now you've got legislators that want to hide behind, you know, remote decision making instead of having the people there. And you know, I, I can see that is going to be going to become start to become a problem because they're not going to see the anger in the citizens' face, their employers, and they're not going to, you know, meet them face to face anymore. They're going to start, you know, hiding behind telecom meetings and stuff. And I think that's going to be a problem. So well, I think everybody needs to. Start demanding, get back to the old normal, not the new normal. And and keep in mind, it's going to take courage to do it. I saw I saw a saying today from a guy by the name of T. K. Coleman. He works for the Foundation for Economic Education, and he said, "Others will remember you because of your pain." Think about what that sure. means. That means your willingness to stick your neck out, your willingness to to march to the beat of a different drum, so to speak, your willingness to be ostracized or shouted at or labeled as something, you know, that uh, that other people are venting their frustration at you. That's what will give kind of you like credibility. Sir, kind of like Sir William Wallace. Yes. Exactly. Braveheart. Yeah. Well, you know, I think... Uh that's the only way we're going to win. And it would be better if there was just more than one. That's how you're really going to win. Agreed. And let them know who is paying their salaries. Take care, my friend. Okay, thanks so much for the call. 801-331-8113. Think about, what, uh, think about what Rob was just saying there. Just having the courage to live your life. And for some people, I know it probably sounds like this is how it runs through their translator. Having the courage to go out there and make a stink. It's going to seem like that to them. Why don't you just go along? Why do you have to be the one who pushes back? And I just want to make clear, you don't have to be a disagreeable person in order to courageously live your life and to, to push back. It's been a while since we talked about the remnant. So let's let's take just a moment and, and just revisit the remnant for a moment. Because I suspect strongly that uh, if you are listening to this show you are very likely a part of the remnant, and if you're not, you probably should be. Here's why. The remnant, uh, at least the story of the remnant, is something that uh, we can trace back to the story of Isaiah. You remember Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet? And, and I'm hearkening back to an essay that Albert J. Nock wrote called Isaiah's Job, and, and he describes what Isaiah was commanded to do as a prophet, to go out and to tell the children of Israel, you guys have got to shape up and you've got to do it now. And if you don't, you are going to get it good and hard. In other words, the Lord's going to bring you down and make you humble if you don't stop doing what's wrong. And he was told, the Lord told Isaiah, when you do this, when you go talk to the people, just so you know, they're not going to listen to you. They aren't going to care what you have to say. They are going to, they're going to hate you for what you're doing. They're going to try to kill you. They're going to ignore what you say, but you need to say it anyway. And I love how Albert J. Nock gets more or less into Isaiah's head and says, can you imagine what he was thinking? Okay, so I've been commanded. Go and tell these people, shape up, repent, fly straight, you know, stop doing what's wrong. Just, you know, be the good people that you're supposed to be. 
but they're not going to listen to you. Can you imagine how discouraging it would be to step forward and say, okay, so I, I need to I need to go and do this, but it's not going to do any good. You would think that would be a pretty strong justification for just doing, well, pretty much what Jonah did. Yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm going fishing, so to speak. And if we understand Isaiah's story, it's, it's very likely he, he asked the Lord, why? Why would, you, why would I waste my time talking to these people if they don't even want to hear this, if they're just going to ignore it, and they're going to run everything into the ground anyway? And in Albert Knox's essay, Isaiah's Job, he says, the Lord said, ah. But you see, the masses, the people who really don't care about the truth, yeah, it's true, they're not going to listen. They are going to be the ones who will continue doing what's wrong until they've run it into the ground. But... He tells him there is a remnant out there that you're not aware of. And it is that remnant to whom these words need to be directed. Why? Because that remnant will be what remains. They will be the ones who emerge from the rubble, so to speak, and who build what comes next. But what they need more than anything, what they need is truth. And they love truth, even if it's painful, even if the truth, you know, shows them, hey, you have some some corrections to make. That's what makes the remnant the remnant. They're the kind of people who not only seek after truth, but when they encounter it, they apprehend it, they make it a part of who they are. And that's what qualifies them to be the builders, the foundational individuals who will create what comes next. Now, I'm hoping this doesn't sound too abstract or too esoteric to where you're thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we're in kind of some biblical scenario. Look, I don't know. We, we, maybe we are. I just know this. The masses don't care about truth. What they care about is affirmation. They want to be told how great they are. They want to be told you are the best of the best. It doesn't get any better than you. They want to be slapped on the back. They want to be handed checks with their name on them. And they certainly don't want to hear something about, we need to make a correction. We are off course. That kind of stuff makes them angry. Tell me you don't see this today. (laughs) Tell me that you don't see that kind of scenario playing out. But there is also a remnant out there. And you probably know these people as I describe them. I bet you can recognize people in your life who very likely fit that definition. It may be you. They are quiet, they are hardworking people, they are honest, and they're sincere. Accolades and, you know, acknowledgement and pats on the back, that's not why they live their lives. They live their lives to be good people because they know somewhere deep down that truth matters. In fact, it matters most of all. And that's why they do their very best to make sure that they are reconciled and they are right with their creator. They know who they are. They know what they stand for. Even if they're not uh, widely acknowledged as great people by the masses. In fact, they probably never will be acknowledged by the masses as great people. But here's the secret. They really are great people. And they have a sense of this, not in a boasting, puffed up way. Look how great I am. It's the peace in their heart that tells them I'm right with God and I'm doing what God wants me to do with my life. And that's the source of their peace. That's the kind of people we need to be. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. 801-331-8113. By the way, a shout-out to those of you who are catching us for the very first time on the Fed by Ravens Media Network. FedbyRavensMedia.com. In addition to the Loving Liberty Radio Network, KTalk 1640, KDXU, and... Many other uh, and many other media platforms and sources that have uh, picked up on this program. I'm so grateful for those who are making it possible to spread a message that I hope is is informative and and hopeful uh, more so than just informative and scary, because <laughs> sometimes it feels like that's really what I have to work with is a lot of informative, scary stuff to share with you. And, and by the way, can I offer this invitation? Please come by my website, the dot com. You will find a page called Resources for Wrong Thinkers. And I have a list there. It's actually a growing list. I add to it as I'm able to of different websites, news aggregators, and so forth that I visit on a regular basis, many of whom I've subscribed to so that they'll send me things in my email. And and I just get a regular reality supplement just about every day from these various sources. And I do that just because uh, it's, I'm, I'm not trying to create so much an audience of people who are going to hang on every word that I say so much as I'm trying to create an audience of people who have resources and who are informed thinkers who will go out there and speak the truth from their own platforms as well. Because this is really what's going to have to happen. I don't know if, if, you, if you didn't catch uh, uh, Glenn Beck's statement yesterday about how big tech is working so hard right now to censor things. And I think it's only going to get worse as the election gets closer. There's a very concerted effort to keep us in the dark or at least keep us, how can I put this, on script, right? You know, to, to where we're not straying from, from the boundaries of approved opinion. We are sticking with what we have been told it is safe to think and say and believe. And the answer isn't going to be, well, more of us need to get on Facebook or we need to sign up on Twitter and we can turn the tide. Trust me, they're doing their very best through so-called fact checkers and algorithms and so forth to to make sure that our voices are pushed to the margins, silenced so much as they can. So the alternative is instead of asking government, hey, will you come in here and fix that and, you know, engage in some antitrust legislation and, and put them in their place? Don't do that. Don't make governor, government rather the arbiter of, of what uh, they can and cannot do. Let's do something else. Let's do something more productive. We'll, we'll build our own platform. And it is my great privilege to know people who are very actively doing this, to have had a hand in doing this for the last couple of years. My goal is to help as many people as possible build their platforms so that they too can speak the truth in a time where it ain't getting any easier. Annie Holmquist is the editor for intellectualtakeout.org. She's got a lot of common sense. I love to read her articles. They're very, um, there's, a, there's a lot of variety in what she has to say. She's not a one-trick pony. And when I saw her latest article about uh, just an average person turning the world right side up, I thought, okay, that, that, catches, my, uh, that catches my attention because... 
we like to think of ourselves as average people, right? Maybe we even discount whether or not we're going to be able to, to make that kind of a difference. Listen to what she says here. She says, a friend of mine was recently venting woes to me in the midst of his bad day, grumpily recounting his attempt to cool off by walking to a nearby store to buy a soda. He said, I got halfway there and realized I don't have my mask. Now, his frustration over this last straw was too much, and she said, I burst out laughing over the absurdity of his situation and everything else that was wrong with the current world. My laughter was infectious, and his grumpiness melted away as he joined me in a hearty chuckle. Now, Annie Holmquist says, I think we've all been in my friend's grumpy shoes far more than we care to admit in recent months. She goes, I know I can shamefully raise my hand and admit to being guilty as charged. Sheltering in place, worrying about the virus and chaos destroying our nation, dealing with new responsibilities like homeschooling children or trying to work from home. All of these things make it difficult to approach life with a cheerful attitude and refrain from snapping at those closest to us. Unfortunately, she says the strain is beginning to show. American divorce rates have skyrocketed in recent months. Suicide rates have soared. Chaos in our streets suggests a deeper chaos of the soul. And she says it's easy to look at the problems of the world and wonder what we as average citizens can do to improve life. Now, she says the answer to that question is not much, at least on a large scale. However, we can do a lot in how we live our own lives. For example, how do we handle our own grumpiness in our own homes, among our own families? Are there simple ways we can brighten the world for them, causing them to head out in the world and brighten others' lives in, in their own turn? She said this question entered her mind after she read a book called Retro Culture, Taking America Back. The author, William Lind, discusses the revival of interest in all things retro. Furniture, architecture, even travel, while suggesting that a love for retro needs to extend to our families and values as well. At one point, he quotes the following passage from an old etiquette book. Quote, I remember a prominent woman saying to me once, Oh, how much pleasure I get out of remembering the breakfasts of my childhood. There was a rule that all members of the family had to come to the table. We had to be neat. We greeted our parents and each other. We were allowed to take part in the conversation and express our opinions. We never thought of complaining about the food, and of course a cross word or look was out of the question. If such a thing happened, it was flatly declared that we were ill and could be excused from the table. Everything looked so pretty, too. The colored china, the shining silver, and always a little flower. Because Mother said pretty surroundings made a great difference in how we faced the day. It was like starting out in the morning with everything rosy and beautiful, and if ever any of us had to miss breakfast, if we were really ill, we felt cheated. Now, Annie Holmquist says, I stopped when I read that passage, especially the emphasized part about everything looked so pretty. And she says, I couldn't help but delight in this lovely thought. Personally, I've never been a huge breakfast fan. I would get it over with with I'd rather get it over with quickly and move on with my day. But she said, how much do those first hours of the day affect families? Furthermore, how much do our surroundings in our homes affect our attitudes as we go out into the world? If we make our homes happy places to be, not only through furnishings and food, but through our own attitudes, might we not change our own outlook on life? along with our family's outlooks and the outlooks of those of our loved, those our loved ones uh, come in contact with? Do you see her point? 
We may not be able to immediately right the chaos in the world, but we can make life a happy experience for those around us. Average people doing average things can do a lot to turn the world right side up. And that's the challenge I think that uh, maybe we should consider taking on through this weekend. Now, look, we're going to get an extended weekend. So that's that's a great thing, is it not? Most of us will have Monday off. Yeah, it's going to be a best of show. Sorry, don't mean to give you a reason not to tune in, but um, I'm going to be enjoying some time with family. And I would encourage you to likewise unplug from the things that are causing you stress and find some things to plug into that actually bring you back to what really matters. It's only going to be temporary. The world and all of its responsibilities and problems, you know, are going to be waiting there for you to shoulder them again come Tuesday morning. But this might be a really good time to just kind of catch your breath. It's the last hurrah for summer. You know, I I, I feel for those who are going to be traveling, right, you're going to have to go out there and share the roads with millions and millions of other Americans who had the very same idea. Be courteous. Try to enjoy the moment. Try to take comfort in the fact that hopefully you're just traveling with loved ones and, and able to enjoy time together. I really feel like sometimes we, we have too much focus on all the negative stuff that's taking place. And it really concerns me that, uh, that a steady diet of this is going to be like a steady diet of uh, I don't know, deep-fried Twinkies and, and Mountain Dew. We might think, well, you know, it's better than going hungry, but at the same time, is it really doing you any good long-term? And by the way, if I can just give a quick shout-out, um, I am a huge fan of the Words and Numbers podcast. I've had James Harrigan on this program a number of times. I, I hope to have him back on again soon. He and Anthony Davies are remarkable hosts, and they really offer... Some great food for thought, nourishing food for thought, the kind of stuff that will actually um, put hair on your chest in, in an intellectual sense. <laughs> It'll help you better understand the world and, and understand it with a dash of humor rather than, you know, this grim face of, well, you know, here's the reality of how bad things are. So, yeah, I'm tooting their horns as well. Thanks so much for being a part of the audience of Wrong Thinkers. Please go to the website, subscribe to the podcast, become a wrong thinker, if you will. And let's talk again next week. This is The Brian Hyde Show.